0: Here we are again, another edition of Private Club Radio. Thanks again for joining me. I have a really exciting guest. It's our first ever international guest. His name's Alistair Dunsmere, and Alistair is the editor of Golf Club Management Magazine. He's on the pulse of golf clubs and private clubs in the United Kingdom as editor of that publication. So I recorded this interview a couple weeks back, and when I was talking to Alistair, there were some pretty interesting things that came during our conversation. Some of the interesting things were the ebb and flow of the golf business has in some ways run very parallel to the United States over there in the UK. But with all those similarities, there's just as many differences in the way that clubs are operated there. We discuss how clubs are adapting to a modernizing game. You'll learn how the UK is getting more women to take up the game. That might give you some ideas for your own club here in the US. And if you're a regular listener of the show, you'll enjoy Alistair's bucket list of clubs to visit in the UK. There's some real gems for your next visit across the pond. Now, before we get into that interview, just a couple quick announcements, the first being my own. I own a company called Course Driver, and I fondly refer to it as the world's most advanced golf app and marketing powerhouse. Not only does it combine GPS, live satellite weather, food and beverage ordering, events calendars, handicap and tournament tracking, emergency services, and geofencing if you know what that is. In addition to all those cool features, it's a very, very powerful way to attract new members to your club. And for existing members, it gets them much more engaged, much more in tune with all the activities surrounding your club by sending targeted, timely messages. If that sounds like something you want to invest in, something you want to learn more about, please check out booth 128 at the Club Managers Association of America Business Expo in San Diego later this month. In addition, I've got some hats and some other giveaways, and you might even get interviewed on this radio program. That's right, I'm going to have a mobile audio recording setup going on, and we're actually going to be recording interviews live from the expo floor. So if you have a great story, if your club is doing something amazing, stop by Booth 128 and let's get you on Private Club Radio. While you're in San Diego, also stop by booth number 314. Booth 314 is the Professional Club Marketing Association of America. And if you listened to episode one, you heard Rick Coyne, CEO of that organization, and all the good things that they're doing for membership and marketing departments of private clubs. All right, the time has come. Let's get Alistair Dunsmuir on the show. Alistair is the editor of Golf Club Management, a trade magazine in the UK that specializes in private golf clubs and particularly how they're adapting to change in order to stay afloat during tough economic conditions. Golf Club Management has been the official journal of the UK Golf Club Managers Association since 1935, and it's the longest running golf trade magazine in Europe. Alistair, welcome to Private Club Radio.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm uh, delighted to be on, and uh, uh, hopefully I can give your listeners some information about what's going on in the UK private golf club industry.
0: We'd be happy to hear those. So can you tell us a little more about yourself and the publication?
1: Um, I've been editing golf club management for just coming up for 11 years. The magazine is read by managers of golf clubs um, in the UK. number of golf clubs that there are in the UK has been dropping in the last Few years, but there's still about 2,000 uh, of them. Uh, you, the United Kingdom is obviously a much smaller country than uh, the USA, but the golf clubs take up about one two percent of the entire land mass of uh, the the country. So the industry is pretty important. Um, and in the time that I've been editing it's been a time of incredible change golf was obviously invented or at least we like to think that it was invented uh in the uk and for most of that time it's there's been very very little change um and that has all changed in the last 10 years um due to societal changes economic changes and for the first time those running the golf clubs um have had to think about really business and finance you know all the sort of things that other industries have had to think about for hundreds of years and um, my readers now for the first time sort of basically joining an association to play golf with their peers are now having to think about real professional business decisions and how to perhaps even look into other spheres rather than golf to seek revenues
0: yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about that. How did these changes come about? Was it just the economic downturn back in 2008 or was, is there other forces ha- at work here?
1: Um, it actually started before uh, 2008, uh, although 2008 very much exasperated everything. Um, the And this is something that is quite similar with uh, the USA as well in the sort of by about the 1980s there was so much demand uh, for golf uh, for various reasons um in on both sides of the atlantic um but there weren't that many golf courses um and those the, the golf courses that existed charged whatever they wanted so not many people could play um and then in the 1990s in in on both sides of the Atlantic, there was an explosion of, uh, of golf courses. Um, many, many would bill. Farmers sold golf courses. um, lots of developers saw the opportunity. And you just very, very quickly saw this complete turnaround. The, um, particularly in, in the, the UK, uh, golf courses that had huge waiting lists and charged exorbitant joining fees, all of a sudden found they didn't have waiting lists anymore. Um, and all of a sudden, there was the rise of proprietary clubs. In In the UK, it was up until 20 years ago, there were only two types of golf clubs. Private clubs, which was the vast majority, and golf clubs owned by local authorities and councils. All of a sudden, there were, golf clubs started uh, rising owned by um, um, individuals and companies. This competition uh, to private clubs meant that they started losing customers. and um, it also meant that for instance the local authorities and the councils then started thinking well we now have competition that we don't want to invest in it because we've got local taxpayers money to worry about so they then started selling off their land there was also a housing shortage in this country so they started building over them um and as we approached the 2000s other societal changes started occurring with you know more impetus on things like value for money and Pressure on people's time, and then certainly with the with the financial crash, um, you saw this destruction of um, both the, the number of people that were participating in golf, and and in particular the number of people that were um, joining golf clubs. And um, as a result of that, in in the United Kingdom and in the USA as well, actually, uh, golf clubs have have gone under several golf clubs have gone under um, in the last about 10 years or so, but also those that haven't have, have just changed dramatically. They've had to diversify. They've seen um, what was before huge sources of income come in. They, before they were basically so awash with cash. They didn't really know what to do with it. They're now struggling for finances. They don't, they can't afford to invest. Um, but to, sorry to go back to your original question whilst it's it's been particularly bad in the last 10 years the you can if you were to pinpoint when it started it was in the early 90s when demand demand and supply started to change
0: they're just building too many golf properties that happened here as well yeah
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: i think uh, you know most of the stats will say that they're here in the united states there's the same amount of golfers the same pool but there's just that many more Properties and, and and golf courses out there that are competing for that same here dollar there pound <laughs> um, right yep yeah. but uh, you know there's 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 been a lot there's a lot of changes going on around here in the United States we've had a lot of turnover in terms of club structure so we've seen many traditional member owned clubs clubs that were owned and operated by the members they're being replaced by golf club management companies and private club operators. So I think you alluded to this, but it's the same things going on over there in the UK.
1: Um, It's not been so much that, uh, private clubs that uh, were run by the members have been bought by um, companies or have transferred to uh, to organisations like Troon or ClubCorp. Um, that has happened a bit, um, but it's it's still been a very very small amount. Firstly, actually, what's happened more is that there's been a rise in the proprietary sector, in that clubs got built, um, particularly in the '90s by um, individuals or companies that wanted to make money out of it and they've been much more professionally run than than the private clubs and they've tended to be a bit more successful um so the the private clubs then have gone under whilst those proprietary clubs have been a bit more successful but also those the private clubs the member run clubs that are doing a bit better are the ones that have adapted uh, the most uh, to the changing conditions of the last uh, 20 years or so. And I would say that the biggest changes that they have brought in, in fact, the number one change that they have brought in has been that management structure. Previously, if you went back 20 years ago, it would be the the way they ran themselves would be a very, very much a committee run structure where uh, decisions would take you know 6 months till for the most minute decision uh, to be made um that it would be eight people discussing uh, something irrelevant and um and it would go from one committee to another committee uh whereas now it's a manager has been brought in professional manager um previously it would be in this country it would be an honorary secretary that would be asked to basically just do Keep you know keep check of the handicapping scores now um it's a professional manager who's got you know serious qualifications he'll be brought in on a proper salary and he will be basically told by the committee if it's a decent committee you know we're here to help you, but we are not here to control you if you want to bring in changes and serious changes to this golf club to basically safeguard its future, then we will let you do that and um and they're the clubs they're the private clubs that are the ones that are uh, that are performing the best at the moment and i suppose to compare that with what's going on in america uh they're the 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 american clubs i guess that have been the most successful have been the ones that have looked around or i I don't know how we're going to survive and then have outsourced to um you know a, a company like say for instance troon that have got their own set of skills and you know perhaps buying group strategies that can um you know offset against all, all the dangers that um that so many clubs are experiencing at the moment
0: right so they're basically kind of a disruptive force in the market it sounds like um absolutely what, what are what are some of the ways that clubs are adapting to the modern era over there
1: there are so many, um, and it, it's uh, as, uh, obviously the, the number one is the, the number one adaption which underpins and, and also overlies everything is allowing the, ma- the manager to manage. But there are also many, many specific things. One thing that we've been talking about a lot in the last year is foot golf, and um, this, this is actually something that came from America, it only came about two years ago, and yet already. Um, uh, about i, I read uh, the other day 160 golf clubs um have taken it on board by um next year it'll be more than 200 uh, do you know what foot golf is
0: uh i'm assuming it's something to do with like football or soccer is that correct
1: it's a hybrid of soccer and golf. You need a golf course though, uh, to be able to play it. it. It's proving to be very, very popular with, uh, things like, um, stag dues. I don't know if you call them stag do's in America, but, um, when someone's about to get married, all the men beforehand will go out on a party.
0: We call and, it bachelors. Uh, or I guess the bachelor party probably.
1: Exactly. Uh, yeah. Bachelor party. Um, and what these 160 golf clubs uh, will do is um for only the cost of about two or three thousand pounds so about say five thousand dollars is either on the golf course themselves or on a small parcel of land adjacent to it um will create what's called a foot golf course um in which will require one or two green keepers to work on it and they it's it really doesn't require very much effort at all you just need giant holes and the participants instead of hitting a ball with a a club they kick a football into a hole and it's the same rules of golf it's you try whoever wins gets the ball into the hole in the least amount of shots uh, possible and um it literally the sport was i think created in 2012 and it's proven to be massive there's now a world foot golf tournament um wow. that um in in the uk there's now fifty thousand registered players it, it's growing massively and and in, in particularly it's the age group where the most amount of golfers have deserted golf um it's kind of that 16 to 24 and male um it, uh it, it's that sector of society that are playing at the most and so number a number of golf courses have created this often against um you know committees and other golfers they don't like it and you can kind of understand why albeit it doesn't even if you put it on your actual golf course it doesn't cause any damage to the golf course you don't play it on with spikes or anything um uh, but and you charge green fees yeah and and everyone that's played it says they love it i've personally never played it myself i don't um i, I mean i i would certainly give it a go i mean it sounds like fun um and it, it's it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and uh that that's one thing
0: before you move on i just want to say it's i think it's ironic that uh, the Americans have brought something that's soccer related over to the u k
1: <laughs> exactly and and not only that not any of the Americans brought it over, but there are so many people in the uk that have shown so much resistance to it sure. as well so, a <laughs> yeah. um, second issue uh, with um, with golf particularly uh, in the west is golf is seen as a male dominated sport um I was in Sweden recently and, um, it, and in most parts of Scandinavia and in Germany and in Holland, uh, there is, there are no gender barriers. It's, um, it, golf is a family oriented activity and, um, that is probably not the case, uh, in the UK where it's something like. Uh, 11 12% of all members of golf clubs are women and uh, and, and there's a male culture that um is rooted through the- golf clubs a number of golf clubs are um, addressing this issue the more proactive ones are addressing this issue and they've done so much research into you know what can they do to get more women um, to play golf and to become members and there are there are certain ways of of doing that three off the top of my head one relax your dress codes Um, it seems such an obvious thing dress codes are seen as so unwelcoming and stuff that's not just going to help you attract women that will help you attract all sorts of other people again there will be people that are members of golf clubs that don't like that, but I think the evidence shows that there there will be more benefits uh, that can be gained from that. Um, secondly, um, if golf clubs that have really improved things like their coffee offerings um, mm. uh, have found, um, it's, particularly if they're located near schools, um, have found that. Um, young mothers will drop their children off at schools and then go to the golf club to have coffee with other young mothers and a chat. So if, if they can turn their clubhouses into um, somewhere that would be seen as desirable just to go for a coffee, um, then they start bringing them into the fold and then they can start marketing to them about, you know, other ways that they could get them to spend money there. And thirdly, and this is the third one is the, the, really the biggest one, and this is the most successful one, is women-only coaching. Um, All the research uh, suggests that uh, women like to be taught in other groups with only other women and um and also preferably by a female instructor and a number of clubs um have done this and it's been so i don't know of one example where this hasn't been very successful and so you know there are a couple of examples that there are there are many many other flexible memberships i i don't know what the model is like in um in america but in britain for years and years and years you bought one subscription at the start of the year usually in january as well when no one's got any money you paid say a thousand pounds uh for it and that for that that got you unlimited golf for the year but that's completely that's that's not value for money uh for most people what most people a lot of people might think well i'm only going to play golf six or seven times so that's very poor value for money so in a number of exit interviews that golf clubs were doing to for this huge loss of um members people saying it's i like being a member but it's poor value for money and so um a number of golf clubs have introduced flexible memberships where they you pay um you pay say something like a hundred pounds, and then for that you um you then get a number of tokens and then you can top up your tokens and so you're it, it, you're still a member, but you get what you pay for um uh, you know uh, that th- these are ways that clubs the successful clubs that have been adapting to the economic difficulties the last few years these have been the ways that they've been recruiting members um unfortunately creative yeah
0: absolutely absolutely yeah so i mean here there's a lot of uh there's a big push you know to incorporate the entire family so not even just the ladies but even to get the kids involved in the club and so my own club here for instance we have like movie night at the pool where the kids can actually come on a friday night lay around the pool and actually watch a movie do do those types of activities happen over there as well at, at clubs or is it really just golf centric
1: um i've never heard of that um but we they do there are a number of golf clubs that do all sorts of um alternative uh things i i do think in this country it's still a little bit golf centric um and All the things that golf clubs do, all the alternative things like uh, uh, tend to be still golf to try and get children. There is huge, huge impetus to get children uh, involved, and it makes absolute sense. If you get children involved, firstly, they could be there for life potentially, and secondly, they get their parents involved, and um, you know, and and even grandparents as well. But the initiatives that have been devised to, um, to bring that about, um, certainly the ones that I've seen, have all been golf-related. They've been things like Adventure Golf, um, which also Comes from america as well it's like you know <laughs> pirate themed pirate themed and jungle themed oh, cool. uh, golf courses um uh, giant holes i don't know i mean lee westwood was going on about this um recently um saying uh, you know we, we why why is the hole cup only four and a half inches uh, in diameter why not just have giant holes um <laughs> yeah because uh, you know why make it difficult for um children um, um That's true. and greg norman Greg Norman um, was also saying, you know, we need to make golf more fun for children. He was saying that buggies should have, um, should be uh, music systems, that they should be playing music, just like make something like that more cool uh, for, you know, kids to, they could be driving around the buggy, listening to music. Um, I can see a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of traditional golfers really not being very happy about that. <laughs> sure, yeah. um,
0: that happens here, though. Uh, I was just playing. I was playing in a foursome the other day, and three of the guys had their own carts, and they were all listening to some different type of music. We were listening to the um, Buccaneers football game on Sunday ourselves. <laughs> so, Is it, yeah, it's interesting. It's okay. a different. It's a different vibe you get for sure.
1: Okay. All right. Well That sounds brilliant. Um, was that a private club?
0: It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. These guys. Uh, they all live at the club, and they have their own carts, and and they just get together and drink beers and play golf on Sundays. <laughs> it was a different experience for me. Usually I'm used to it being quiet and and, and that sort of thing, but uh, they were having a, they were having a good party out there.
1: At the, at the moment, I think a lot of the innovation in, in private golf is coming from America. Have you heard, <clears throat> heard about the, these um i think they're called golf boards they're half sort of buggies half segues half skateboard and yep. um, again that came from america and that's just hit the uk it's they just started in the summer yeah and i saw those at a club seven.
0: called black rock up in uh, massachusetts That was the first time i'd ever seen that yeah those are really cool they're like a surfboard
1: yeah about um i know now seven golf clubs in the uk that have um taken them on board and all since the the uh, summer of uh, 2015 um and all of them have reported positive um feedback from uh, consumers so in in every case i mean there are there will be non golfing ways the golf clubs try to get money a lot of them have uh, a building holiday homes on their courses uh, to to make money or, or or will invest in health and fitness spas or um and and we'll, we'll look at that i saw one the other day that did a theatre night um at, at its club but the vast majority um it will be it will still be through golf it, and I can understand why the course is their number one asset, right. but they will still, um, they will still look at alternative, um, um means of, of golf. There, there was incidentally, the European tour has just recently done a survey on, um, the first of its kind on golf participation, obviously golf participation, um, in the UK, just as in USA has been in terrible decline, uh, but the, the Europeans also said, well, that's only been happening on 18 whole courses. What about every other form of golf participation? What about people that are playing golf um, computer games and golf simulators and people that are on the driving range? And it found that actually about one in five people um, in, in the country are engaged in golf in some form or another, um, it, whether it be, on a pitch and putt course on the driving range, um, via a computer game, via a simulator or or some, some form. So maybe it is time just as in, I, I know cricket is not huge in America, but cricket changed hugely. Cricket was a dying sport in the UK. Um, about 20 or 30 years ago, test cricket, nobody was watching it anymore. And then it invented this thing called 2020 cricket, which is a very, very fast version of the game. You only get 20 overs and it's all done very, very quickly. And you just, you have to hit the ball basically as soon as it gets bowled. Whereas previously that never used to happen. And it, it just reinvigorated the sport. And a lot of people are now having a saying, this is what golf needs. Um, and it's, it's a bit different, I appreciate it's a little bit different because the issue with cricket was that it was, the, it was dying because it was a spectator sport. Whereas the the reason that golf has got its problems is both because it's a spectator sport and it's a, it's participation levels are a problem. Um, but I, but clearly something, something needs to happen, but there's no doubt the potential is there for it.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's great that, that you know, the people are actually still focusing on golf over there. And um, I think that's wonderful, really. So tell me a, a little bit about a standard type of membership or, or an average membership. What, what is sort of the due structure and how does that work over there?
1: Um, it will be in terms of how much they pay and what they get for it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, I assume there's some sort of upfront membership fee and then maybe monthly dues or yearly dues. I know you kind of alluded to some clubs are switching to the yeah. tokens, but what, what's, a, what's, a, what's an average club? How, how does it work over there?
1: We uh, there's I guess if you were to call it an average club, there, there's probably about three tiers of clubs, but an average club would be... Um, membership would be about eight or 900 pounds per year, um, which, um, I guess is about, I don't know, thirteen, fourteen hundred $1,400. Right. Um, for you still, the vast majority ask you to pay that in one lump sum and often at the start of the year, um, there will be some that will, that will, um, they'll have a subscription scheme where you can pay that monthly or in 10 installments or something um and for that you will simply get unlimited golf on the course and a um uh, and some sort of discount on the bar and restaurant and often i mean it it's very unprofessional how it's all worked out uh, i've asked golf clubs this about you know i'll say so what's the what's the discount on the bar and restaurant and uh, they'll say oh it's twenty five percent, and then i'll say oh how how was that calculated and always the answer is the same um which is oh the committee just thought that would be that's a nice figure (laughs) you know it's it's never been you know a scientific or a mathematical you know an accountancy based figure it's (laughs) um so it it, you know and which i think goes back to why are committees running golf clubs it's wouldn't it be better to get a, a manager in to work out what would be the best discount to give for um right. you know the, the, to enable membership retention um but that would be least damaging financially for uh for the club um but no it's uh, um but that's how it's calculated but but that's all you would get for it um and, Is there an initiation and model, fee any
0: up upfront initiation fee
1: um if you go back twenty years, almost every golf club had a joining fee which would be exorbitant and um it, because of this decline of the last few years, it, it's been one of the biggest trends. And uh, the last I saw was about two years ago was the less than a third now have joining fees. And I suspect it's probably uh, about a fifth now have wow, joining so f- fees. So
0: 15, f- basically, 1300 US dollars, I could be a member at a club and just, yeah. wow, that, that's pretty amazing. That That's actually... Very, very inexpensive uh, yeah I, I don't know exactly what the average would be here, but i I would say maybe five to six hundred dollars in Florida per month people would be paying in addition to anywhere from uh you know it could some clubs do have a zero zero joining fee, but you know i'd say the average club is probably ten thousand maybe twenty five thousand up front as well, so that's really affordable in that type of economy is it there a sport for the upper class or is it exclusive or is it more open to everyone there then?
1: Um, I don't think golf ever was a, a sport for the upper class. It's always been perceived here as a sport for the upper class, but, but I don't actually, if, as someone who's had to study a bit of golf over the, uh, the, the last, since I've been doing this job, I don't think it ever was because certainly over the last hundred years, just, there were private member clubs and they were exclusive and they were snobbish. And they, you know, it was difficult. They had waiting lists, and it was difficult to become a member. But at the same time, there were several local councils that had golf clubs that was incredibly inexpensive and anyone could join. Uh, so basically anyone could play golf. And so many people here um, in this country from both from well from all three of our classes play golf so um whilst it has a stigma about it there's undeniably golf has a stigma about it that it's for the upper classes um i don't actually think it's a fair stigma it certainly is a white dominated sport and it certainly is a male dominated sport but um i don't i don't agree that it's a, a an upper class uh, sport um, that's in terms of it, I
0: think that's great that it's more accessible there,
1: yeah. Um, but it, it's still the one issue is that it's still there is an element of exclusive exclusivity about it. It's still if I go to private members' clubs, and this is this is one difference that I've noticed between private members' clubs and proprietary clubs because I, I do visit quite a few, um, on a uh, every year, I'll, I'll visit several private members clubs can still be very unwelcoming and it it won't be cuz they might perceive me as um you know of a certain age or a certain class or or whatever I, if they there's a very much a we don't know who you are therefore we're not instead of we're not going to welcome you here mm. and i've had that i've had that repeatedly um you know i've had comments like that uh, there was uh, once i played at a, a club uh, actually very near where i live and um afterwards i was in the, a bar that, it was a club that had two bars um and one of them was completely empty and the other one had one person in and i went to with my three playing partners went to the one that had one person in and the guy that had the the one person that was in there um shouted at the barman and said you can't serve him he's not wearing a tie hmm. <laughs> and the barman then said sorry you have to go into the other bar so the four of us had to go into the other bar the barman wow. then followed us <laughs> into the other bar to serve us and um we had to go and so we then just said look we're just going to go to a nearby pub and just uh have a drink there <laughs> sure. and um and then we a few years later i went back to that club and um they said oh yeah we abandoned that no tie rule and it, we've seen takings go up quite a bit uh, since then but it, there's that it, there's that unwelcoming attitude that i think is is more important than um cost and uh, classlessness or whatever um that I still, that I, and I think it's, it's worse in this country than it is in America that, you know, it's, I'm a member of a club and therefore, you know, we're exclusive. And, um and I, I think that's a problem.
0: Interesting. Well, I got two more questions for you to sort of wrap things up. My first is sort of a question I ask all my guests. It's what would your bucket list be? So if I was, if, if I'm coming over to the UK or, or a mem- member here is going over to the UK, what are some of the hidden gems over there? Everyone's heard of St. Andrews and Cardenoustie, but what would you recommend?
1: Um, there's a club that I really like and it's uh, very near it. It's in a place called the Heath belt where a number of top golf clubs exist like Sunningdale and Wentworth. Um, the reason i like it isn't actually so much for the golf course it's um it's one of those uh, private golf clubs that is so welcoming it's called temple golf club and um there's about three or four different reasons why i like it but the probably the, the two that stick out the most and they're both probably to do with the the manager who is a friend of mine um called keith adley he was he's been there for years and years and years but he um, despite being someone you know who he uh, he would hate to be described as an environmentalist, he is someone who has really pushed an environmental agenda there, which you know golf has got a stigma as being an environmentally unfriendly activity, um, and sometimes that's a fair um stigma and sometimes that's not fair he's very much an example of it being unfair um he has through um the green keepers there they've done so much work on course sustainability and and you know making making the course a wildlife haven and it it doesn't matter how badly your golf is uh, there is so much wildlife around you it there's it's an area of peace and tranquility and it is it is really really nice to play there and also he's even in the clubhouse he's brought in sustainable energy with biomass and solar panels and things, wow. uh, and also there's there's a, a side issue as well about him, which I think is fantastic. Is albeit it's um, you, you do wonder what goes on there. He's saved the lives because through a defibrillator of something like seven people. Oh my uh, goodness! <laughs> uh, in the time, um, is people keep having heart attacks uh, <laughs> there, oh, as is actually off quite quite regular at golf clubs because of the age profile. But he has personally used that defibrillator. Later, something like seven times and in every case he has actually saved the uh, person's life over the course of about the last <laughs> 20 years he might get years. recruited by so, the
0: local hospital
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot of people that um, are very very grateful to him
0: that's amazing um any other clubs that you'd recommend people go check out
1: um, uh, well, as, as well as that one, Temple, um, there's uh, another club near there actually called High Post. Um, they're, they recently just won Team of the Year in, in an awards that we do. Um, they're very, very proactive in terms of some things that we've talked about, things like getting women to play. Um, God, they, they went out and got a lot of women to play. There's a club in the North of England, a, a much, much smaller club called Tapton Park, um, which, um, Okay to be honest I've never actually been there so I, I can't vouch for it but I've spoken to the the people that run it and they're just it it's the way it's run I'm just so impressed with the way it's run it's so proactive it's always coming up with new innovative ideas not all of them work about you know how to uh, how to get new people in and it's I I just love their ingenuity about um you know, new schemes and new ideas. Um, um, and there was a, a club that I was uh, just speaking to the other day, um, oh. one that I really is It's called Wickham Heights, um, which is in the southeast of England. And um, th- this one would particularly appeal to me. Uh, they offer, or they, they did in the summer, and I hope they bring it back next summer, uh, anyone that finishes their round in less than four hours gets a free pint of beer.
0: Nice. I like that. <laughs> that sounds like my kind of club, actually. Uh, <laughs> all right. The last question I have for you is: you, being the editor, or really see- of Golf Club Management magazine, have really seen everything that's happening in the industry. I could imagine. So, what would be some of what would be your one bold prediction uh, for 2016 and beyond for the club industry in the UK? Um,
1: I think, and it, I'm concerned about the industry and my main prediction is that the industry is particularly the private club industry is going to start to um fracture and and to break into a three-tier uh industry i don't know if you've heard about um what's been going on at wentworth when wentworth isn't actually a private club um it's a proprietary club, but it's, it's mm. very, very similar to, um, to private clubs, but it, it was, um, it was bought last year by a, a Chinese billionaire and it's, it's an incredibly, um, rich, uh, golf club in, um, in also in the Southeast of England. And it's the members there are a very, very wealthy many, many celebrities, uh, 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 play there and very recently the owner said he was going to hike all the fees by a humongous amount um uh, doubling uh annual subscriptions um joining fee was going to go up by about a hundred thousand pounds and also he's going to charge a debenture for everyone of also about a hundred thousand and everyone was asking why are you doing this and he said it. Well, he didn't answer. But the the suspicion is, or this has been the the reporting in the press that it's uh, because he, whilst he likes having a wealthy club, what he wants is a super wealthy club with far fewer members. He doesn't want two or three thousand uh, rich members. He wants only two or three hundred uh, oligarchs, billionaires as members. And my fear for the industry is that it's going to split into three types of clubs one at the very very top that are like that that uh so ultra wealthy with only two or three hundred um of these super elite uh people that you know the, the very very wealthy people that are worth minimum 20 25 million pounds then in the middle you have these proactive clubs the ones that have allowed their managers to manage and that are bringing about the change and that you know are surviving, I and mean, in actually, probably in in many cases, doing more than just surviving. They're thriving, and then unfortunately, I think there'll be a third tier of of private clubs, the ones that are still burying their heads in the sand, that are plodding along, and that are just struggling, not going under. They're doing just enough to survive, but they're just not really. They won't be making enough to invest, making much needed investment in their facilities. But they're not—they're not going anywhere, and I—and I, I fear for them. And I think that's what's going to happen. It's not a particularly happy prediction. It's a bit of a bleak one, but um, I think that's what's going to happen over the next few years.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Is there any way that you can see that that might be reversed, or 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 any anything that could come into the market and, and change that or disrupt that?
1: Um, the uh, only thing is um, uh more education uh for golf clubs and for golfers at those clubs the, I mean, you've got those that three tier if, if it does happen i obviously could be completely wrong the the top tier is only going to be a small number so maybe we shouldn't bother about them for though for that third tier to help them it needs to be those committee members that i guess need to be educated that um And this comes from the media and the golfing associations um, to speak to them and to say, uh, look, you need to embrace change. You need to stop burying your heads in the sand. I've I've spoken to some of those um, uh, committee members on things like on platforms like social media. Um, And I I, I said to them, you know, why don't you look at, um, for instance, flexible memberships or. Bringing in measures to, you know, get more children, and you know they said no. I I want things like you know the course to myself, and I said but you're also going to moan about um, your annual subscription raising, and um and then the conversation and they'll say yeah but I you know I want <laughs> I want my um I want the course to myself, and then I'll say well and the conversation will end when it will say but you won't actually have a convers uh course to yourself because. There will not be enough people prepared to pay the amount that you might be prepared to pay right. um, uh, to keep uh, to keep that course um, i unfortunately, I feel that there's there's quite a lot of courses have gone under um in the last few years. I think there will be a few more to go. There probably needs to be to correct this now oversupply just as there is in the u um, s where when that correction has leveled out then maybe we can start going back to where we were where you know, golf can start to move forward again but it's going to be i think at least another five years till that happens
0: well alistair it's been so nice to speak with you and get a glimpse of what's going on in the private club industry over there in the uk thanks so much for being with me today
1: thank you so much it's been great to speak to you gabe
0: so please check out golf dot and Alistair, is there any other place that people can feel a little bit more about you and what you do?
1: Um, they could follow me on Twitter or speak to me on Twitter. I'm at Al Dunsmuir. Um, but if they go to golfclubmanagement.net and um, leave comments on the articles, I read all them and I'll happily uh,
0: speak to them and comment back. Thank you so much, Alistair. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, Gabe. Cheers. Cheers. Man, I love that. I didn't realize some of those differences, and especially in terms of structure that private clubs have over there in the UK. That was really eye-opening. I'm glad that we had him on the show. Well, I invite you to come back again next week. We're going to be speaking to Rick Coffey. Rick is a really dynamic and entertaining individual. He's the M3 manager at Club Essential, and it's a great conversation that we have. We talk about some technology that can improve your club, some ways that you can market to millennials, and how you can really take your social media to the next level. It was really an informative chat you do not wanna miss. And we have Susan Green the week after, Henry Wallmeyer, CEO and President of the National Club Association the week after that, Kevin Caldebaugh, President of the Club Spa and Fitness Association. Now we have two new guests that I haven't yet to announce that I'm going to make the first announcement now. Jackie Carpenter, she's the editor of Private Club Advisor, and Greg Patterson. He is probably the most dynamic man in golf of all time that I've ever met at least. He's the GM of the Beach Club, former GM I might say. In fact, we talked to him just days after was his going away party. And he's also a contributor to the Boardroom Magazine and a speaker and author. So you'll definitely wanna check him out. He'll be on in March, March 21st, I believe. Don't forget to check out our website, privateclubradio.com if you'd like to be a guest on the show. If you have questions and comments for us, If you would like to actually ask a question of some of my upcoming guests, you can also do that there. You can even suggest a guest for this show that you think might be great for our listeners. This show is for you, so if there's something that you want to know, just let me know and I will make it happen. And don't forget to come see me in San Diego at the end of the month at the CMAA booth 128. Until then, here's to your membership success.